0: Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to have you with us. Hope you had a great 4th of July, and um, we are studying the book of 1 John this summer, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 John chapter 2. That's where we'll start or you got a bulletin when you came in, there's an outline there you can follow along. So it's great to be with you. Uh, Last weekend, my son is uh, uh, 15, but he's playing baseball on a 14U team. And so it was kind of like the last year, the last tournament, the state tournament, that these kids have been together for about seven years. And so uh, it was nostalgic uh, for me, maybe way more than for him. But um, it's a group of kids that, about the first five years or so, I had the privilege of coaching too. So as we were walking on the field, for example, uh, our kids are 14U. There was a team of 8U kids kind of walking beside them, and so some of the dads are going, "Can we really believe our kids used to be that small?" And I remember when our kids were that small, and you'd see 14-year-old kids you'd go, "Man, our kids really gonna get that big?" And yeah, so yeah, that happened, and so as they were warming up for their last couple games, it was a morning game, and so the sun was still coming up, and so anybody on the right side of the diamond would have to, like, shield their eyes to catch a ball coming at them, and so one of the coaches was even out there with them, showing them, you know, how to hold up a glove and how to be able to catch a ball with the sun. so it's really cool, like, even though these kids for seven years have been together learning baseball, there's still coaches out there, you know, teaching them aspects of the game, and and reminding uh, reminded me, like, when they were eight, there were some very basic things you were teaching them, like how to hold a glove or some practical things like, okay, between innings, this is a good chance to go to the bathroom because we had some wet pants incidents. Or, like, even at 9U, when they were playing for a state championship, the score was tied last inning, and one of the kids wasn't going out to the field. I go, what's wrong? It's like, when is this going to be over? You know, it's like maybe sometimes it's a bigger deal to the dads than the kids. But just thinking through all of that, when I was studying this week's passage, you, you get the sense that John is, is like a coach who is, 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 is helping people with something way greater than baseball. It's, it's how do you follow God? How do you have the experience of the life that God wants us to have? How do you get there? And so in this passage, in, in chapter two, one to 14, uh, the word walk just comes to mind. This is how you walk. This is how you do it. This is how you really experience the life that God wants you to have. And so uh, the whole book, like one of the verses uh, in 1 John, uh, John says, um, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Like John wants us to be certain that I am grabbing onto the life that God has for me. I am I'm really living the life that God wants me to have. And so that's his tone. So you're gonna see that come through really clearly in today's passage. And it's really important to remember who's writing this book. John was one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, out of all the disciples, uh, John was referred to as the one that Jesus had. Like, so out of all the relationships Jesus had on the planet, Jesus and John uh, were the closest. And so as John's writing this letter, his heart is just bursting with love for Jesus with and love for people, a real desire that the people really see who his friend Jesus is and what he wants to offer them. So, so I'm excited for us to go through this book this summer. And particularly today, this morning, He's going John's gonna teach us about how do you walk in obedience? How do you walk in love? And then how do you walk towards maturity? How do you grow? Uh, so let me pray before we start. And actually, I'm gonna ask you to just pray quietly where you are. And could you pray that God will teach you this morning something new and something fresh about who Jesus is and how to follow him more effectively. So you pray first. Ask God to teach you something fresh about following Jesus. And then, would you pray for me that I would make God's word clear this morning, that I would just speak with clarity and boldness, that God would speak through his word today. God, we need you, and we love you, and we thank you that you're a God that loves to teach us how to follow you. So would you do that today through your word? In your great name we pray, amen. Okay, so 1 John chapter 2, we're gonna read the first six verses to get started. It's gonna be talking about how you walk in obedience, okay? So First uh, John, John chapter 2, verse 1, he says, "'My little children, I am writing these things to you "'so that you may not sin. "'But if anyone does sin, "'we have an advocate with the Father, "'Jesus Christ the righteous,' He is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So very beginning, you see right out of the chute, he says, my dear children. John is, is very, um, is nearing death. He's, he's followed Jesus for many years and his heart is now for this church. He wants to make sure they are truly following God and he loves these people. So he calls them little children and his desire, right away he says, my desire for you is that you do not sin. So just like for example, any parent in the room, like, how much sin would you like to see in your kid's life? It's like, none. Like, I don't want to see any sin. Sin is destructive. It hurts our relationship with God, it hurts our relationship with other people. I don't want any sin. And so John has that same kind of fatherly heart for this church. I Man, I don't want to see any of you sin. In fact, in Third John 4, he said, there's no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. So his passion there is for their purity and that they don't sin. But then he says, but if anyone does sin, Um, then we have a provision from God. And so uh, he's gonna talk about Jesus and he uses three descriptors of what Jesus does for us in our fight against sin. Okay, first he says that he's our advocate. Um, He is our, the Greek word is paraclete. It was the same word he used for the Holy Spirit that Jesus used in John chapter 14, that Jesus is our advocate. It was a legal defense term, that he's like a defense attorney that's walking with us. And when we're accused uh, by Satan, or by sometimes ourselves, like about our sin, Jesus defends us. He says, no, I died for this one. I I love this one. I I have died for their sins. And so he's our advocate as we walk through our lives and battle sin. It says that he is the righteous one. This is so important in understanding the gospel that that the gospel the good news isn't that you try as hard as you can to be righteous and to be perfect but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and then he died the death that we should have died in order that we can live the life that God has for us to live that Jesus is our righteousness he came to this earth he lived a perfect life and then when he died on the cross He took our sin on him. And then the trade of receiving the gospel is that you take Jesus' righteousness and you give him your sin. So that's how we stand before a holy God. That's that's the good news. It isn't you try to be good on your own effort, good good luck, because that's not going to happen. But that Jesus did it for you. He died for you on the cross. And so Jesus Christ is the righteous one. And so the way we fight sin is in our identity in Christ is that, is that he has overcome the power of sin and the penalty of sin, and he can help us defeat the presence of sin in our lives, okay? So he's our advocate. He's the righteous one. And then there's this big word. It says he's the propitiation for our sins. Most likely you didn't use the word propitiation this week. You know, if you wove that into a sentence without maybe reading this chapter, I'd be very impressed. But a propitiation is, a, is a kind of a, a thick a dense theological concept of, of, basically it means to appease the wrath of God. And so the wrath of God is not a very common topic today. Even in a lot of churches, you don't talk about the wrath of God. But if you allow God to be God, God is a God who loves. God is a God who is holy and perfect. God is a God who is just. And so to be holy and loving and just when there's sin God, is, God expresses righteous anger at that, and so what Jesus did when he died on the cross is when he took our sin upon himself, he also took upon himself the wrath that we deserve from God, the, the, the judgment that we deserve from God, Jesus absorbed, and so propitiation means to take somebody's wrath and transform it into their love or their acceptance, and so propitiation means um, Romans five talks about it this way that at one time you were God's enemy, but that through the gospel, through through this act of Jesus on the cross, you now become a child of God. So you go from enemy to child like that's that's an amazing transformation all through Jesus, advocate, righteous one, and propitiation for our sins. If I could just pause, if you've heard all that before, I, sometimes we can forget. How unique this is. There is no other religion that offers this kind of message. Every other religion, every other self-improvement method will involve you working and doing the best you can and never knowing for sure if you qualify. The gospel is completely different, where God doesn't expect you to work up to him, but God moved toward you through Jesus on the cross, and that through Jesus' work, you can stand before God as righteous, not an object of wrath, but as an object of his love, as his son or his daughter, now a member of his family. That's that's astonishing, okay? So so walking in obedience starts in that foundation. That the whole reason we can even obey God is because of the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so now there's a whole different incentive to obeying God too. It's not out of fear. It's not out of, I better measure up or I'm gonna get crushed or I'm gonna get squashed. That we, we, we have a whole new incentive. And so um, that incentive, I think John highlighted in verse three when he said, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And so there's a couple of no's there. Uh, the no he used is one that meant a personal, intimate knowledge. There was a no that he could have used that meant like facts I know facts about God. But here he's talking about, I know God. And I just don't know about him. I, I know him. And so the, the incentive for obedience is that you really get to know God. You get to know him personally. Now, as John is writing these themes, um, one, of, one of the richest sections, I think, in the whole Bible is in John's gospel, in, in, in the gospel of John, chapters 13 to 17, where he just recorded the things that Jesus taught his disciples the night before he was crucified. And a couple things Jesus said in that context, um, you just see kind of permeate throughout John's other writings. So like, for example, John 14, 21, Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. not that a cool concept? Like, So when you obey Jesus, that's the way you show him you love him. I mean, it's cool if you sing to him, and it's cool if you pray and say, I love you, but what he's really looking for is obedience. Do you really love me? Then you're going to obey me. And then look at his promise that as you obey me, then I will manifest myself to you. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show up in your life. In fact, just two verses later, he puts it this way. He says, if anybody loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that awesome? Again, you don't see that in any other religion, any other uh, view of uh, deity or spirituality where, where God desires to come and make a home with you, to come in and, and be with you and live with you. And so maybe you've had those kind of days or moments in your relationship with God where you're just so aware of his presence, like, and there's peace in that, and you're just aware of his power, and there's comfort there, or uh, you feel heard by him as you pray. And you just know that he's listening. You you just are so aware of his love. In fact, I, I, I feel like I am two completely different man, men. When I walk in that mode that I am known by God, that God is near to me, I'm a totally different person than when, when I'm drifting from God and when that is not a reality in my life. And you ask my kids, or you ask people around me, which dog would you rather have show up today, right? And so, and so there's an incentive to our obedience is that now I get to see God show up in my life. I get to see Jesus. I get to have God the Father and Jesus be at home in in my life. And again, the peace and the joy and the courage that comes in, in those times, that's that's our incentive for uh, obedience. And, and so I need to, uh, this is a good question to ask ourselves uh, this morning. If we just feel like God is kind of distant or we're not, really uh we can't really describe our relationship with him as an intimate knowledge or personal then then one factor could clearly be could be sin you know that we are are living in sin that we're not really focusing on obedience and obeying him and and yet the incentive is so what we're missing out there is just the the reality of day by day experience of the nearness of God in our life so our incentive is is that and now. Our our assurance of our faith. uh, John said this. He said, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. And whoever says I know him but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Okay? So that's a tough statement. And um, it's interesting. I... when when we preach through a book of the Bible, sometimes it's interesting for me to go and look and see how did other preachers handle this, or how did they break down the chapters, and what were some themes that they saw. Um, There aren't a ton of (laughs) sermon series on 1 John, and I think you can see why. There's some hard things that get, get said here, and so remember John's heart. He loves these people. Remember John's heart that he has a passion that we know the true Jesus. And so John has the courage to ask hard questions. And he's, he's, I think he's got two audiences in mind as he's preaching, as he's writing this letter. One is those that are truly following Christ and it's been hard and there's adversity. And he's really trying to encourage them. You guys are doing it, you're, you're doing a great job. I think another group of people uh, in his mind are those that that are maybe professing to believe. They're hanging around Christians. And so again, his tone there is an anger toward them. His tone is, guys, you've got to make sure that you're believing the real deal. Again, remember 1 John 5, 13, I wrote these things. Uh, who believe, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants people to know for sure. And so your salvation is based totally on what Christ has done for you on the cross. But then, how can you be assured that you really believe in Jesus that your faith is truly in him and not yourself? Well, one evidence is going to be uh, obedience that if you truly believe Jesus is God, that Jesus died for sin, that Jesus has power over sin, that you 're a sinner, that you need him uh, there 's going to be there 's going to be again not perfection, but there 's going to be a trend toward obedience and to becoming more and more by Christ. And what, what John is saying is, if that's not evident, then, then you're a liar. You're not, you really don't believe this. You really are not claiming or living by what you claim about who Jesus is. Paul said something similar in Second Corinthians 13. He challenged the people there to examine themselves and see if they're still in the, to see if they're in the faith. Um, again, he's not trying to false, you know, throw out just false fear, but I think he's just trying to get our attention right here. Guys, uh, if we're not seeing obedience, then, then maybe we really don't understand the gospel. We don't understand who Jesus is. Um, write down this passage. I should have put it in your notes. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is a great, I, I call it the grace package, what God offers us. That's where it says, by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Like the only way anybody in this room is a Christian is through the grace of God and through what Jesus did on the cross and putting your faith in Christ. That's what saves you. But then verse 10 says this, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Don't separate verse 10 from verses eight and nine. The package is, God saves you by grace, and then by grace, God begins to do good things in your life. Like nobody at the end of your life is going to show up at the judgment seat of God and say, look what I cranked out for you, God. It's like awesome. Like we're going to be totally aware that anything good that came out of our lives is because God is gracious and God is good. And God gave us his word and God brought people into my life to teach me. And God was forgiving with me. God was patient with me. And so there's going to be a whole trajectory towards growth, but it won't be because of you. It's going to be totally by by his grace, okay? So don't get that confused. John's not saying like, well, yeah, you start out by believing in Jesus, but then dang it, you better crank it out. Like I better start seeing some good things in you. You're off the team, A team to B team, just right there. It's not, it's not that. If you have the true gift of salvation, there's gonna be growth in your life. And one of the assurances you have is do you really understand who Jesus is, is that you're gonna see a trend toward obedience. Jim Cimbala is a pastor, a longtime pastor at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. Uh, famous for his passion for prayer. love, that guy just fires me up. And I was listening to him speak a couple weeks ago and he, uh, I hadn't thought of this, but it makes so much sense. So he was talking about how in our country today, if you take a survey and ask people, how many people are Christians in America? Like sometimes those numbers will be high. It'd be like 60%, 70% claim to be Christians. He said, but if you look at another whole set of statistics, things like the, the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith, how many people believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man? How many people believe that you are rescued from sin by faith in Christ alone? How many believe, you know, just listed like five basic truths of the Christian faith. Now that number pairs down to about 15%. And I'll be honest with you, that makes a lot more sense. If truly 80% of our country was radically following Jesus Christ and believing the gospel, I think our country would look a little bit different when you think so. And so maybe that 15% makes more sense of what we're seeing. And so, you know, again, I'm not some fear monger this morning, but it could very well be that there's people that are just kind of going through the motions and week after week and just thinking, I'm in church and I do this and I do that and I'm in this group and I read this Bible. But like, I think John and his love for us this morning is just saying like, do you have the real deal? Have you, do you truly know Jesus Christ, because one of the one of the evidences of that is going to be a, a desire to obey and a, and a growth in obedience uh, to Jesus. And so, again, my encouragement is just examine, examine. My encouragement to you is talk to some friends in your life, talk to a pastor. And let's make sure that you understand the gospel. Okay. So, um, and let me also say that this is a group project. That that learning to obey is not something, again, that you're just off on the side, like, trying to do this. I love Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, where he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's an invitation that we all need each other to help us obey that um, we, we, by ourselves, we can talk ourselves into anything. You know, by ourselves, we can justify just about anything. If you would ask the pastors on staff and just say, okay, what are some trends that you see? Like the people that seem to really be growing in their faith, uh, what what are some trends you see in their life? One thing is going to be that these people have relationships with people in their lives where they're being honest about their sin. They're confessing their sin to each other. They're praying for each other. They're holding each other accountable. And you could ask the staff the same kind of question. Well, and please let me say this humbly. I'm the worst sinner in this room, okay? I'm not judging and stacking people up. But the people who come, and I love it when you do, the people who come uh, and they're hurting and there's been uh, some sin in their lives and all of that and and something, something big has happened and there's been some damage in their lives, uh, sometimes you can ask, so... Who's, who's walking through this with you? Who's praying? And so many times, it's like, I don't have anybody that's doing that. That, that sometimes we try to do this Christian life as lone wolves, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That you, you need together. So obedience is a group project. And I hope that's something you hear clearly in this next year. That's one of our goals, is that not just that we have community groups, but that we have groups where we really can be honest and help each other uh, obey Jesus. And again, the incentive is so that we can see him, so that we can know him, so that we can be more like a Christ. And so, and so the first urge from John this morning is like, let's walk in, let's walk in obedience. Okay, the next one is let's walk in love, okay? So let me read verses seven to 11. And he says, beloved, again, he's just affirming them. He loves them. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Hang with me. It's a little complicated. We'll keep going. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, man, there is a lot there. We probably should have divided this whole passage up different and spent a little more time on one of these sections, but here we go. So let me just break down a couple things. Um, when, when John talks about an old commandment, um, kind of historically throughout the time of the Bible, all the way back to the book of Leviticus, uh, there were commands to love one another. You know, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbors, yourself. So that's kind of been a, a you know, foundational command throughout throughout the history of people following God. But when Jesus uh, came on the scene, in fact, John was there. It was at the Last Supper, right before Jesus was arrested and crucified. Jesus gathered his team together. And it's in John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So again, on this face value, you okay, well, Jesus, you didn't give a new commandment. It's the same thing. You said, love one another. The new piece is I want you to love as I have loved you. There's like now a whole new standard. Like I think it could have been vague maybe in the Old Testament times and up until Jesus came. Okay, what does love one another mean? Okay, I think I can love. I'll, I'll be good to people and all that. Jesus took that, that concept of love and just put it way up high. Like love is laying down your life uh, for others. And going to see that that John later is going to, like in 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And so that's the newness of this command. What's really interesting, you guys, is that John, probably out of all the disciples, John was known as the disciple that talked the most about love. If you would ask people that know the Bible, like, who's the disciple of love? Everybody go, oh, it's John, because he talked about it so much. What's really wild, maybe this is helpful to any of you, like right now, if you say, you know what, I don't, I'm not very good at loving people. I don't think that I really put my life down for other people. Um, if you met John before you knew Jesus, I don't think you would have called him the love disciple, okay? So there's a couple snapshots we see of John in the Gospels. One time in Luke, I think it's chapter 13, Jesus and the disciples are traveling through Samaria, and a village just totally rejected Jesus, didn't, didn't want to serve him, and help him out. John got so ticked off. He said, let's just call down fire from heaven. and just, let's just blow these people up. Yeah, there's the God is love disciple right there, right? He was known as the son of thunder. Like, so I don't know if that had to do with calling down lightning all the time, but like he, that was, that was his MO right there. He's like, man, you're not forced, I'm going to kill you. Like, so that was one response. And even after he knew Jesus for a while, so I talked about that last supper where Jesus brought his team together and so what the Gospels tell us is that right before that powerful time of teaching, uh, the disciples were fighting with each other. And it was a common fight that they had kind of throughout the Gospels. And that fight was, which of them was the greatest? <laughs> which, so John was a very competitive, ambitious, you know, at times angry. Like, he was not not the disciple of love. And so if anything can give us hope this morning, if you just look at so many of your relationships, maybe even at your marriage this morning or a different place you go, I just don't see much love. Like I don't see I I stink at love. So John stunk at love. But then I think what totally transformed John was being loved by Jesus. Jesus said, as the Father has as as the Father has loved me, now I'm loving you. So now go abide in my love. Like what changes you from being an angry and bitter and self-centered person is to just be overwhelmed and flooded by the love of God that you, you taste through the gospel, that you taste through Jesus Christ. That's what changes you. And so, and so you're, this topic of love is going to come up, come up a couple different times in 1 John. First John's a hard book to study because it's not like one chapter talks about love and one chapter talks about purity and one chapter like he weaves these themes all the way through. But one thing you're just he just opened the box. There's going to be just wave after wave in this letter of First John about the love of God, and uh, what what John's life shows us is that uh, your life can be changed. You can go from being a hard, bitter, self-absorbed person. To living a life that is reflective of the life that Jesus has for you, by this we know love that He laid down His life for us. That you could be known as, as that kind of person as well. And so, um, um, let me just say this too: like when 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 John said, "By this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another." Um, Don't don't blow through that. It's just a very um, I've heard that before. That is so crucial that uh, if we want to be serious as a church about extending the gospel about people in this city that we love, who so many people in the city don't know Jesus, if we want to be serious about, about them meeting Jesus, it's probably not going to be, it's not going to start with our doctrine or what we believe. Um, those are important. That, that, that'll have a time. But the first thing that will probably draw them will be do we really love each other? And, and do we really love them? That's that's what's going to thaw their hearts. You you met Berna earlier, and she was talking about uh, students from Turkey who are coming to Christ. A couple weeks ago, I got to sit down with another one of our global workers named Nate, who's in Egypt. And again, we were just talking about Muslims coming to Christ, that more Muslims have come to Christ in the last 15 to 20 years than have in like all of history. Before that, and when you ask these global workers on the front line, what's drawing, I asked Berna, what's drawing these students to Jesus? And she says, it's the love, that they see Christians loving each other, and they see Christians being loving and accepting of them. That especially when, when John talked in verses 7-11, and he talked about darkness and light, that, that the light is, you know, penetrating the darkness. I think this world gets incredibly dark when there's no love. When I mean, you've got everybody living in violence and hatred and self-absorbed, you know, lives, intolerance, all these things is the darkness of the world. And what we're seeing throughout the Middle East is that there's a draw to light. There's a draw toward those who are living sacrificially loving lives. And so why, why would that just work in the Middle East? Like, why wouldn't that be true here in Iowa City too, that in a city that and maybe in some ways a city we love, but a city that's living in darkness if it doesn't know God and doesn't understand the gospel. And so how do we approach a city like this is that we we show love. Uh, There's a book that I hope you become familiar with. Um, You're gonna hear more about it this year, taking some leadership groups through it. Um, It's called Surprise the World. It's a quick read, Michael Frost, uh, Surprise the World. Um, You might even be able to get it as a PDF online, like for free, just download it. I like those kind of books. So um, it's called Surprise the World. He challenges Christians to do things that turn non-Christians' heads. Not like So, for example, if you say to your neighbor and they know you're a Christian, I'm going to church today. They go, yeah, that's what you do. Like, I know that. So, no big deal. But if that neighbor sees you do something sacrificial, that neighbor sees you mow their yard for them when they were on vacation. You go, wait, why, why'd you do that? Like, can I pay you something? He's like, no, just just want to do that. I think you're awesome. You're a good neighbor. I just want to help you out. Like what, what things do you do? What, what rhythms do you have in your life that just turn a non-believer's head? And so one of those is going to be just acts of sacrificial love. And so what I love about the book is it's incredibly practical. He, he kind of drips out some, what are some practical rhythms you can just get into your life that'll help you open doors for the gospel to go forth? And so one of those is to bless, is to bless three people in your life each week. Just blessing could be that you stopped and listened to them for 30 minutes in a world where nobody stops and listens anymore. Or you could have mowed their yard or you took them a meal when they were sick. Or, and to make sure that one of those three people you bless is, doesn't go to church, that you're intentionally showing love to people that, that may not know God. So, um, but, but again, John is calling us to, to walk an authentic Christian life. is gonna be a walk toward obedience. It's also gonna be a walk toward love. And you're going to hear this theme throughout this letter. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everybody who loves is born of God and knows God. But he who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And again, another assurance of our faith is, do I see, do I see genuine love coming out of my life? And I was doing premural counseling with a couple yesterday. Both these guys are just brand new in their faith. Like, just, it's been cool to watch them. I wish I had two more years to work with them before they get married. But, like, here they are, and they're just brand new. And the guy, was, he's, I mean, they're so new that yeah, he doesn't know yet. You don't need to tell me all the stuff that's going wrong in your life, but he does, which is awesome, which is where we all should be, probably. And right away he goes, I just, I'm really, I asked at the end of the time, how can I pray for you? He said, I just need to be way more patient. I just say some of the harshest things to her, and I don't want to do that. And I don't want to be so critical. We talked about being her, your wife's biggest fan, not her biggest critic. And so we didn't just focus on this level. Well, you've got to do that better. You've got to love her better. We said, let's back that up a little bit, and let's, let's go this direction. First of all, do you understand that God isn't your biggest critic, that he's your biggest fan? He is for you. And do you understand that God's desire isn't just to kind of rip you to shreds and be critical and cut you down, but he wants to build you up. And maybe you don't understand, like, the love of God for you, And that's what's going to transform you as a husband is when you really understand the love that God has for you. So, again, this is not another thing you just go, I just want to love better. I think God would say, why don't you come and understand, again, my love for you. Why don't you understand the gospel so that you can truly walk walk in love. The last one, let me just hit this quick here, is that um, there's an encouragement here to walk toward maturity. Walk towards maturity. Uh, Verses 12 to 14. John says this I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So, uh, people that have studied this passage a little bit confused. Okay, what's he doing here? I think what John is doing here is he's, even though, uh, I think he's talking to the whole church, even though he's using a lot of male language. I think this is the whole church, and he's talking about three different stages in growth and maturity, from children, like brand new believers, uh, fathers who are the spiritually mature, and then the middle, kind of the middle way in the path, he's characterizing as young men, okay? Let's look at what he says to them. It's really interesting. He repeats, you know, two different times. He says things to each of them. To the dear children, who I think are the newer believers, he says to them, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, and you know the Father. So this morning, as I'm talking about this, like, which group would you put yourself in? If you consider yourself, like, new, you're just learning this stuff. Like, John's words to you are like, be fired up. Like, look look what, look what is true about you. You're forgiven. You've gone, again, from being God's enemy to being his son. He loves you. And it's all because of the gospel. And you know the Father. Like, you're not walking blindly in this life anymore. You know later. He's with you. He's going to show you what to do. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Like, he's just celebrating that. Later, you're going to see in 1 John 3.1, he, he kind of, I think he says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the sons of God, like he's just celebrating. If you're brand new, if you're just learning this God stuff, you just have accepted the gospel, man, Paul's saying you've got some great things going for you. You've got a great foundation. See that and enjoy that, embrace that, okay? And then he goes to the other end of the spectrum. and He talks about fathers who I, I think are the mature followers. And it's interesting, he says the exact same thing to, two, to them two times. I don't think John's getting old and he forgot that he already wrote that. I think that anytime you see repetition in the Bible, it's for emphasis. And he's making sure that maturity in the Christian faith is described this way. He says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you, have, because you know him who is from the beginning. Who's from the beginning? This is He's talking about Jesus here, that you know Jesus. John one one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He said, you know Jesus. That's the end zone of the Christian faith. Like, what's, what are we striving for here? Like, what, where is this walk going to take me eventually? And John says, it's going to be that you know Jesus. You know him intimately. You are living like him. So you're humble. You're courageous. You're other-centered. You're making disciples. You're, you know, just all the things you see Jesus doing that's what you're doing, okay? And so sometimes you can think maturity is chronological. It's like, okay, who are the oldest ones here? Who's been in this church the longest? And that's not what John's talking about. It's not just endurance. It's who's really living like Jesus. That's the end zone. That could be, if you're a new believer today, that could be you in two years. There could be amazing growth. And I, as a pastor, it's really cool to have, again, I feel like 50-yard line seats watching So mature believers, and again, it's not not always a factor of age, it's a factor of are they like Jesus? Again, loving and humble and serving, and God is doing powerful things through mature followers. But again, the essence there is knowing Christ. Write down Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, this is the Apostle Paul. Out of all the things he accomplished, out of all the things that he had learned and done, the most important thing to him was to, have a surpa- was to see that it was surpassingly great to know Jesus, that the, 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 the supremacy of the Christian life is knowing Jesus. And so, and so John is encouraging the faithful, the, the mature followers, the fathers. And then he speaks to this middle group, young men. He says about them a couple different things. He says, you have overcome the evil one. You are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so I think John is speaking there to the, this process from infant to mature. that And if you've walked that path before, you know that there is there's a fight and there are battles. In the spiritual realm, there's an enemy who hates it. When somebody embraces the gospel and starts to grow and become more like Jesus and then helps other people you know, find the gospel, grow and become like Jesus, he hates that. And so the reference to the evil one here twice is that this is going to be a battle to grow in your faith. It's not going to be a stroll into the end zone. It's going to be a fight. And so he's applauding them that you have overcome the evil one. There's a verse later on in this letter where he'll say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's firing them up. It gets hard. Like, how do I fight this sin in my life? How do I stop these patterns and these habits in my life? How do I truly start loving? Because I'm not, jo- John is just firing these folks up and saying, hey, you you are, there's victory. You guys are moving forward. Keep going. And one key truth he drips in there is that you are strong. And he says this, and the word of God lives in you. Like, please do not, I don't want this to be another, the pastor is going to tell us we should read our bible i don't see how much clearer you can get there but one of the ways that's really helping these people move from young to mature is that they're winning victories they are fighting the evil one and the word of god has a key place in that so just an invitation to all of us do we really want to see this growth and if i could throw out maybe maybe it's a picture that'll cause us to cringe like can you imagine like 30 year old 40 year old 50 year old people like walking around here in one-season diapers? Like, wouldn't that be a little bit scary? Like, maybe don't think of specific people. That could be offensive. Like, just, just in general, if you just saw some people way older, than they should have been still wearing diapers. Like, I just, I wonder if sometimes that's a description of some of us in our, in our faith, that we're not fighting these battles, that we're shrinking back, that we're not seriously, you know, pursuing the sin in our life. And, and again, the Word of God is a key piece to that. Again, like I mentioned earlier, you just ask the pastors, okay, like the people that tend to be trending toward maturity, you see what are some rhythms in their life. It's going to be they're in community and they're you know, they're in God's word. You could ask them what's God teaching you and they'll, they'll share something with you and it's really practical and it's good. Same deal if somebody's like crashing and burning and you start digging in there into the wreckage of a life. and You go, hey, so who's walking through this with you? And then the next question is, so have you been like in this really – reading the word and getting it in you, I, guys, it's, it can't be any clearer than, than we see week after week after week. And so I think that the encouragement here, uh, we have no excuse. Like the Bible is as accessible to us more than any person has ever walked on this planet. I can get it on my phone, right? And we, we got Bibles everywhere. Uh, it's a hunger issue. And so do I really want to move from, toward maturity? Um, the word of God is going to have a key place in that. Please, if that's a struggle for you now, any pastor, any leader here would love to just walk you through how they study the Bible, give you some ideas and tips, and, and help you grow in that area. So, um, but, but my real desire would be, and this is, I think, as John was writing this, his desire was that his people, that this church would live authentic lives, walking in obedience, walking in love, uh, and walking towards maturity. Because uh, John's greatest fear was that this whole movement of Christ, this whole focus on Jesus and growing to be like him would fizzle out. If the church would stop loving each other, if the church would stop having a hunger to grow in obedience, that could this whole thing die out? Could his friend, his his friend, his savior, uh, and this whole movement uh, fall aside? And John was just driven out of love for his people and out of love for his savior. Please, let's walk in obedience. Let's walk in love. Uh, and let's walk towards maturity. And guys, I I hope that's our same passion as we go through this book this summer, that we be a church that really God can use to influence a whole city as we just follow, as we walk, as Jesus walks. Let me pray. Um, trap this up. Jesus, thank you. I pray this morning. uh, There's some hard things that we read. Um, I I thank you that the tone of your word when you're calling us uh, to grow is not one of condemnation. You don't push us down. You don't beat us down, but you call us up. And so God, this morning when we hit some hard statements, like if we say we love you, but we're not obeying you, we're a liar. God, may you use that to call some of us up. Maybe some of us need to examine ourselves. There hasn't been much growth in my life. I still see a ton of sin in my life. I don't see a lot of growth in my life. God, in a healthy way, wake us up if that's true of us. God, if we say we love you, but we're treating the people in our life horribly, uh, in our home, in this church, we're gossiping. God, get our attention and call us up to remember how much you have loved us. And God, help us walk, truly walk in love. And I thank you that you love wherever, whatever box we're in this morning. If it's new, if it's growing, or if it's mature, you are for us. And you want to help us all move along and become more and more like Christ. So God, I pray that's true of this church. And we just see example after example of life just totally transformed by you and by the gospel and god extend the gospel to this great city we live in we love this city and this city needs jesus so um, use us to do that please in jesus name we pray amen thank you for listening to this teaching from parkview church we pray that you are blessed by god's word For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.